Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. You may all be seated. Here we go. I hope that's on. My clicker's on. All good. All right. Should come up in a minute. Anyway, good to see you all here. Um, last month, I, uh, I had a message uh, on authority, power, and skill. And uh, within that, I shared that, uh, that you can have authority and you can have power, but if you don't have any skill, then you're not going to be able to use it very effectively. Well, today, I want to concentrate on authority because authority actually is a bigger deal. It's a bigger deal than power, and it's a bigger deal than skill. And the reason for that is because authority is a gateway for you to increase your influence. Authority is also a gateway for you to become elevated in position. So if you have a plan and a purpose that God has for your life, then you're going to need authority. You're going to need to grow in that authority. And so authority and how you relate to it and how you use authority becomes quite a significant issue in the kingdom. So that's really what I want to I want to focus on today. So let's go straight into it. Uh, there we go. Fantastic. We're up here, ready to go. So the the title of the message this morning is authority and submission, and this really is an essential for Christian living. So let's have a look at it right from the top, because authority comes from top down. All right. So we need to have a look at God's authority, how it is, and how that flows down to us. So the acts of God. These are the things that God decrees, his power, and all those things issue forth from his throne. They come from his throne. And his throne is a symbol of his authority. That's what it symbolizes. And authority itself represents God. So if you can imagine a king, a king, when he's sitting in state, sits on a throne And that throne is the symbol of his authority and the symbol of his power. uh, And he has the right to make laws and decrees and exercise authority from that place. And so when a king makes a decree, then certainly back in the the days when things worked like that, um, he would kind of, they would make a decree that would be written down and then a, a big blob of sealing wax would be placed upon that decree. And he would either put his signet ring into it or he would place a seal on that. And that seal itself is a, is a symbol of the king's authority. So that declaration would then be carried all the way throughout his realm, all the way throughout his kingdom. And whoever took it only had to show the seal, the symbol of his authority, and the decree needed to be adhered to. And if you didn't adhere to it, you went to jail. Actually, probably in those days, you probably got your head chopped off. But anyway, um, so the seal itself is a symbol of the authority of the king. So authority represents the king himself. So anybody carrying that, they're carrying a representation of the king. And we can see that Jesus has been given all authority. And we can see that in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him he also made the universe. So we can see that not only did Jesus have all authority, he also had all power. He created all things. created the whole universe, which is pretty good. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus himself represents God's authority. He sustains all things by the word of his powerful by his powerful word. Having made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, that is a throne. A throne is a symbol of his authority. So that is Christ completed all the things that we, we, we spoke about in communion, made provision for our sins, and then went and sat down on a throne. And from that throne, that is where Jesus rules the kingdom. He rules it from his throne, which is in heaven. So what should be our response then when we encounter authority? If all authority comes from Christ, how should our response to that be? And in, in very simple terms, it, it should be met with submission. Submission, which is what the title of our message is this morning. Authority and submission. We can see submission working because it's been modelled for us in the Trinity itself. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three of them are God. All three of them are equal. But the Son submits to the authority of the Father. And the Father delegates authority to the Son. And what the Son decrees, the Holy Spirit then enacts. And so we find within the Trinity itself, there is a mutual submission, a submitting of one to another. And that is a model for us in the body of Christ. Because as believers, we have all got the same position. Right? We're all believers in Jesus Christ, every single one of us. There isn't one of us which is greater than another because Christ has leveled the playing field. But we should all submit to one another. Why? Because we recognize the authority of Christ Jesus and the working of the Spirit in each other's lives. So there is a mutual submission one to another that we have because we recognize the authority in others, which is the symbol and the representation of God himself. Not only that, Paul also exhorts us in the New Testament that this is how we should do it because Jesus himself also modeled it while he was on earth, not just in the Trinity itself. So in Philippians 2, we got it there, here we go, look. Philippians 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be clung to. Jesus wasn't insecure, by the way. Right? He didn't feel it was something that he needed to cling on to, to bolster himself up with. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. 
and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see there is a mutual submission. God delegates authority to Jesus and Jesus submits to the authority of the Father. And then we are told to take note of this attitude that Jesus had. Because submission is an attitude. All right? Take note of the attitude that Jesus had. And we are to model that same attitude. So when we meet authority, we should submit to authority. Because when we submit to authority, what we do is we reveal that we have a heart of humility and that we have a heart of obedience. And this is quite a big deal in the kingdom because everything in the kingdom of God always comes down to heart attitude at the end of the day. Always comes down to heart attitude and the condition and the state of our heart. You see, when you you come to serve God, it isn't good enough that you just happen to be really good at what you do, right? It, it isn't good enough that you are an excellent greeter at the door because what it comes down to really at the end of the day is what's in your heart? What's in your heart? Is there an attitude of submission? Is there an attitude of humility in everything that we do, in every way that we serve in the kingdom of God? We might be a brilliant leader, but if you don't have humility and you don't have obedience to authority you're not going to get very far so it's important really important that we understand about obedience and submission why is it so important in the kingdom why is it so important that we submit to what other people ask us to do or submit to those who have positions of authority not just in the church but outside in the world as well, in the marketplace, where you work, to governments and people like that. Why is it important, particularly for us as Christians, to be obedient? Because every kingdom position carries authority. Everyone. And authority represents God. So it's really important that as we begin to move in authority and exercise authority, we need to remember that we are representing God. And when we meet authority in another person or in another situation, we need to meet it and remember that we are being obedient to the Father. We're being obedient because authority represents God. That's why it's a big deal. That's why it's so important. This is why, if we get it right, gates are open for us. Purpose comes about. And we begin to grow in it. We begin to fulfill the plans and the purposes that God has for us. But if we don't meet authority correctly, then doors get shut. And we lose our credibility. We lose our authority. And we lose, and we, well, ultimately, we don't actually fulfill the plans and the purpose that God has for our lives. So authority is a big deal. Submission's a big deal. God himself is the source of all authority. And all legitimate authority is instituted by God. We'll see that later. So if you desire to follow Jesus, you must submit to his authority in the spirit of humility and obedience. This is what it means to make Jesus Lord. It's one thing to accept Jesus as your saviour. 
It's one thing to accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross to forgive you for all of your sins. It's another thing entirely to make Jesus Lord. So when we make Jesus Lord, we submit to his Lord. What does submission mean? Submit means really just to come underneath. We recognize that Christ Jesus is Lord, Lord of all. It's been delegated all authority in heaven and earth. So Jesus is Lord. And when we make him Lord of our life, we submit to him. And in doing so, we submit to the Father. Submarine simply means to be under, sub, water, marine, submarine. So when we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are saying, not my will, but your will. Because you're Lord and I'm not. That's what Lordship means. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So I hope, I hope I haven't labored that one. No, actually I do. <laughs> because it is a big deal. I hope I have labored it enough. All right. I hope that we understand that that authority, all authority comes from the Father and is delegated down. And so we need to meet it rightly. Okay, so what happens when you don't meet it rightly? What's the, what's the opposite of meeting authority with submission? So what we're going to do now is we're going to have a look at rebellion and we're going to have a look at lawlessness. All right, and we're going to have a look at the roots of rebellion and lawlessness because you cannot serve God through a spirit of rebellion. And you cannot serve the kingdom in a spirit of lawlessness. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at the author of rebellion. The Old Testament has a few passages which talk about the origins of Lucifer. Everybody know who Lucifer is? Yeah? Lucifer was, or was Satan before he fell. Okay, so Lucifer was, an, was a cherub. He was created by God. All right? And we're going to read about this now uh, from Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, this is what Isaiah says. He says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you say in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol in the recesses of the pit. What was the position that Lucifer wanted for himself? He wanted to be the ultimate authority. He knew he wasn't satisfied with the position that he had. And he wasn't satisfied with being the apex of God's creation. Lucifer was the the, the highest of the angels, the highest of God's total angelic created order. Yet he wasn't satisfied with that. Wasn't satisfied with the position that God had given him. He wanted more. He wanted to actually become like God himself. And in fact, he wanted to usurp God's throne and sit himself there. So that self-will, that self-promotion, we find Satan, rebellion is found in his heart because he wanted to promote himself to that position and remove God from his very throne of power. What is that throne? The representation of God himself. That 
was what was found, the iniquity which was found in Satan's heart, and that is why he fell. He was not satisfied with the gifts and the splendor which God had created him with, because not only did he have position, but he was endowed with amazing gifts. And you can read about those in Ezekiel. And I'm just going to put one part of a passage out for you. Where is it? Here we go. So in Ezekiel 28 and verse 12, says, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. There's that seal again. What's a seal? Symbol of authority. So he already had authority. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was the epitome of perfect creation. And yet... He, didn't, well, he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted more. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 14, you are the anointed cherub who covers. That was his position. Where else do we find in the Old Testament a cherub that covers? We find it in the mercy seat. The mercy seat in the Old Testament. Remember when, when God told Moses to build the tabernacle? And he gave him the pattern of the tabernacle and all that he needed to do. And he had to make everything in the tabernacle exactly as he was shown. Because the tabernacle was the earthly representation of the heavenly tabernacle. The place where God is seated. And the mercy seat itself was the representation on earth of God's throne. What's his throne? It's the symbol of his authority. And the authority represents God himself. So there was an earthly copy which Moses was instructed to make. And this is where we find in Exodus 25 uh, a description of what that mercy seat was like. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim, which is plural, of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubs shall have their wings spread upwards, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are be turned towards the mercy seat. So there's a description of what the mercy seat was like. Uh, Moses didn't have the liberty of taking artistic license. All right? He couldn't just say, oh, well, you know what? I think we'll have a little bit of a tweak here. I think we'll put a little bit of a different color in there, have a bit of a flower here or something. He didn't have artistic license. He was told very specifically, you need to do exactly as I tell you because it's a copy. It's a copy of what's in heaven. So what we understand about it here is going to give us understanding and insight into what's happening in heaven. This is why it was important. Here is a, an artist's interpretation of what the mercy seat was actually like. Whether it looked like that or not, we don't actually know. Okay, but this is a representation. and might be what you had in mind. But we can see here the flat part portion there. That is the seat. And you have two cherubim over with their wings covering over the top. Lucifer had a position as a cherub that covered the mercy seat, which is the very throne of God itself. The seat that Jesus now sits on, having made atonement for yours and my sins. He ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand, which is what we've already read. And that seat in heaven 
is the one that Jesus sits on now. That is the throne that God has given him. That is, from that place, Jesus looks after the entire kingdom of heaven. Not only that, but also the entire universe. Because the heavens are his, and the earth is his footstool. So it all belongs to him anyway. So this is the place where Jesus sits. So this is a really, really important position that these cherubim have. Not only that, is they were one part, they were made with one part with the mercy seat, which means they were indistinguishable from the throne, from the, from the authority that Christ has, indistinguishable from that. So we're talking about a really serious level of authority, trust and power here, really serious. Their wings overshadowed it and their faces were turned towards mercy. Now this is a beautiful picture of what God's authority is. Because those cherubim, as you see, their faces are turned towards mercy. So what does that tell us about God's authority? God's authority and his power is turned towards mercy. You and I have probably experienced authority in a negative sense. We've probably experienced authority as being heavy-handed, authoritarian, uh, being put down, that we get squeezed into doing things that we don't wish to happen. But what is real authority? Real authority comes from God's throne and is delegated to us. And that authority has its face turned towards mercy and turned towards justice. How good is that? That's a wonderful picture. So the cherubim are inseparable from God's authority and from the purposes of his throne from which Christ rules and reigns over all things. Now Lucifer was one of three cherubim. The, uh, the, the names of the other two were Michael and Gabriel. The New Testament calls them archangels. Archangels is simply the Greek form of cherubim, which is the Hebrew. And so there were three three of them. There was Lucifer, there was Gabriel, there was Michael. Gabriel uh, was the one, if you remember, when the uh, birth announcement of Christ was being made. Who was it that gave the announcement to men? It was Gabriel. It was Gabriel. Why? Because it was so important that God didn't trust it to anyone else apart from his most trusted, most close angel, the cherub. So he gave that responsibility to him to declare that the Messiah had come. But if you have a look at the mercy seat, how many cherubim do you see? Two. Yet Lucifer was one of three. So I believe that God actually intended that there were to be three cherubim in attendance to his throne. But because iniquity and rebellion was found in Satan's or in Lucifer's heart, he fell. He was removed from his position, removed from his authority, and cast down to earth, as we've already read. And so we lost his authority and his position. And so now we only have two that attend to the throne of God. And now the whole character and the position of Satan himself has completely changed. Whereas once his face was turned towards mercy, now his face is completely turned in the opposite direction. His face is turned away from mercy, away from justice which is the opposite of what God's throne is. As far as the east is from the west, so has Satan's heart been turned from the purposes and the plans that God had for him. Why? Because rebellion was found in his heart. And when he was cast down, 
he continued that assignment against the sons of God because humanity was made in God's image. What is an image? It's a representation of God's authority and a representation of God. In the Garden of Eden, we find that Adam and Eve were given authority, delegated by God, to rule over the whole of the earth, rule over the whole of material creation. And we find that Satan came along and he deceived Adam and Eve and duped them, tricked them into taking of a fruit which was going to have a particular benefit. And this benefit of eating this fruit was that they would have the knowledge of good and evil. Now that word knowledge of good and evil, is a, well that phrase is a synonym, not a cinnamon. It's a synonym. I said it wrong. It's a synonym. Okay, which is just a phrase that means something like another phrase, okay? And that phrase, uh, the knowledge of good and evil, is, it means to be able to decide what is right and what is wrong. Sounds fairly innocent, doesn't it? To be able to decide what is right and what is wrong. Or, in other words, I make the rules, not you. The temptation... When Satan was in the garden, he said to Eve, he said, you know, if you eat of this, you're not going to die. In fact, you're going to gain this benefit and you're going to become Elohim. You're going to become godlike ones. That was exactly the same temptation that caused him to fall. And this is what he tempted humanity with. And ever since then, that poison of rebellion and lawlessness has run through humanity in the form of a sinful nature. Because that... I'll make the rules and not you, is lawlessness. Lawlessness. And that is a principle of Satan because Satan does not submit to God at all. Satan wants to be the ruler. He wants to be the one who makes the rules. And he does want you to submit to him because if he can make you submit to him, he's got rulership over you. And you are made in the image of God. So his demonic mind thinks that if he can put you under submission to him, then he's got rulership over God. That's a satanic principle. Rebellion and lawlessness. How many people have heard that? I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. Anyone who's got kids? Proof of the sinful nature. There is lawlessness and rebellion in the hearts of humanity. Purely and simply, because we are fallen creation. Self-rule and self-delegated authority, grasping for your own position, trying to promote yourself, all of these things are rebellion and they're lawlessness. And they're done through a principle of Satan and not through the God's principle of of humble obedience. And it's interesting, you know, because what Satan decided to take by force, God's actually given to the church freely and delegated it freely. In, uh, in Matthew 16, we come across a familiar passage there. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. That word binding and loosing is another synonym. 
And it means that you can decide what law is binding upon a person and what law a person can be loosed from. It's called halakhic authority. All right? And the, Jesus gave it to the church. Jesus gave delegated authority to the church to decide what is binding and what is not. Satan took it by force and enforces his rule and enforces his reign over the earth by force and by fear because Satan has no authority. He's fallen from his position. He has no position. He has no authority. All he has is power. And he uses that power to bring people into subjection through fear and oppression. And that's what power does. See, because Satan's a bully. Satan's a bully. A bully can rule the schoolyard through excessive use of force and through fear, but never by authority. Nobody gives a bully authority. And that's exactly what he is. He has power, yes, he does. But he doesn't have authority. So we have a principle here, a godly principle of obedience, as opposed to a satanic principle, which is rebellion and lawlessness. And so we have a decision as to which one we're going to abide by, because you cannot serve God using satanic principles. It is not possible. You cannot serve both God and Satan at the same time. You need to make a choice. Every time you submit to authority, you bring honor to Jesus. Every legitimate authority that you submit to. Why? Because authority is delegated and authority represents God. So every time we meet legitimate authority and we submit to it, we confer honor upon Jesus. That is a godly principle. It's a principle that we see in the Trinity itself. But every time we refuse to submit to authority, we give honor to Satan. That's a sobering thought. So submission is a godly principle. Humility and obedience is a godly principle. And it is the correct way to meet authority. So, if you want to grow in authority, if you want to grow in your leadership, if you want to fulfill the plans and the purposes which God has for your life, then there is one thing that you need to master, and that's obedience. You need to master obedience. And this is such an important thing that we need to understand in the kingdom of God that even the Bible in Hebrews 5 and verse 8 The writer to Hebrews says, even Jesus learnt obedience through the things that he suffered. So if it's that important for Jesus to learn, how much more so is it important for us to learn who have a propensity towards rebellion and lawlessness? In order for authority to be expressed, there has to be obedience because authority can't be expressed without it. Remember Jesus taught us how to pray? We sang about it earlier. Thy kingdom come, thy will, not my will, thy will 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is established through obedience and nothing else. When a person gets saved and makes Jesus Lord, the kingdom has come. Why? Because another heart turns towards obedience. And that is how the kingdom of God moves throughout the earth. One heart at a time. One submission at a time. One obedient act at a time. So there's a key, and I'm going to finish off with this one. There's a key that I want to leave you with. This is the take home. Okay? This is the thing I want to to give to you, which is going to help you grow in your authority and grow so that you can fulfill all that God has for you. Because if you fulfill it, you will need to encounter authority, not only handle it rightly, but encounter it rightly. Okay, so you're going to need this. So here's something, here's a key that you can have. It's called prayer and fasting. And I'm not talking about fasting every once in a while. I'm not talking about a one-off fast. I'm talking here about cultivating a lifestyle of fasting. Okay, the reason why, because prayer does one really important thing. Prayer seeks the will of God. And as we begin to seek the will of God, as we begin to put ourselves in a position where we can pray and we hear God, we can hear what he's saying to us. We can hear what his plan and his purpose is for our life. We begin to hear small assignments that God begins to give to us. And we begin to discern the will of the Father. Really important, but that's not the only thing. Hearing is just the beginning. Fasting has, is God's prescribed way for us to humble ourselves. So here we bring obedience and humility together through prayer and fasting, a fasted lifestyle. So by fasting, what we do is we take something which is a symbol of our flesh, eating or something like that, something which has mastery over us, right? something which is necessary for us, and we bring it into subjection. Okay, So we say, I will abstain from it. I won't do that anymore. We abstain from it. So we're bringing something that we like doing and we abstain from it. So we bring it into subjection to our will. And because we know what the will of the Father is, we bring it in subjection to the will of the Father. And that has a knock-on effect on the rest of our life by shaking free the shackles of the flesh because our hearts are stubborn. Our hearts are rebellious. Our hearts are lawless. And there is a propensity, as I've already said, to be lawless. And fasting is God's way that we humble ourselves under the hand of God and we become obedient to his will for our life. And as we become obedient and we humble ourselves under God, then we find that we have met authority correctly and authority builds trust. Because as you begin to move in obedience, God will trust you with more. As you're obedient, and trustworthy in the little things, he will give you more. It'll open up position for you, and God will begin to promote you. It'll open up authority for you, and you'll begin to find yourself moving in greater degrees of power than you did before. Why? Because you're trustworthy. Because he knows, and God can trust you, that you're not going to move in the principle of Satan. But in fact, you're moving in the godly 
and holy principle of obedience to humility. I can invite the band to come back. As the band comes back, I just want to read out to you, I don't know what to call it really. I just wrote down a, a few lines, just kind of summing up what authority is and what it's not. God's authority does not strive. It rests securely. It does not need to prove itself. It does not intimidate, but it is peaceable. It does not need to beat its chest. It does not force itself on anyone. It is firm, but it does not violate a person's will. God's authority is turned towards mercy, sets captives free, establishes his kingdom, and is the final word. Why don't we all stand? So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to ask that you pray with me. Because this is important. It is an important topic. It's a weighty subject, but it's one that we really do need to get a a good, firm grasp of because it will open doors. And God has not called us to insignificance. He has called us to great significance and great power. And with great power comes great responsibility. And responsibility is not given to those who are not trustworthy. So we need to, this is, this is important. And you know what? Every single one of us has been rebellious. Every single one of us has been lawless. Every single one of us has chosen to move in that realm rather than in God's way. If you're the kind of person that squirms because somebody's put restrictions around you, right? Because you have to conform to a set of rules or a set of procedures or a policy, or something like that, and you buck against it, know that there is an ungodly principle at work in your heart that needs to be removed. And really, that's all of us. You know, I was a child. <clears throat> I still am my mother's child, right? And I don't always, still don't always do what my mum tells me. Um, all of us have rebelled against authority. And those of us who've had children, we wrestle with that one until we teach them and we train them in the ways that they should go. So all of us, none of us are, are, are free from this. And that's why I want us all to pray uh, rather than just ask people to stick hands up, right? Because we've all been there. We've all been there. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. So let's pray. What we're going to do is we're just going to ask the Lord to forgive us. We're going to renounce lawlessness and rebellion. And we're going to rededicate ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ again. And then after that, I'm going to open up the front if anybody wants specific prayer for anything. It doesn't have to be about this. can be anything at all. And I'm going to open up the front here and the team will be ready. I'm going to hand over to the, uh, the team here just to lead us out in worship. So if we just want to put your hands out in front of you and just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have harbored lawlessness and rebellion in my heart. And there have been times where I have chosen to rebel instead of being obedient. 
I renounce lawlessness and rebellion. And I cast it out of my heart. And I welcome humble obedience as the principle of my life. I surrender again to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.